Hi, I'm Tyra G., your host of Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Welcome again to our virtual global gathering of phenomenal listeners, fearsome and humble, honest in pursuit of new possibilities and purpose. You know, here we dig deep and we come up strong. We bravely walk into places where tradition has taught us there are some things we just don't talk about, but not at this table. And no matter how hard judgment knocks, it can't get in. Beloved, here we live beyond the wreckage. Every week we experience, educate, encourage, and empower each other. We have a firm belief that everyone not only has a story, but everyone is a story. So we share aha moments and stories that have been left in our pockets for too long. Although many of your voices will speak light into darkness, there is no insignificant person around this table. Each week, we start right where we are. The dress code is your authenticity and your belief that impossible is merely a word to describe the degree of difficulty. Frankly speaking, with Tyra G is one of my most ambitious dreams, and I thank God for every remembrance of you and your gifts of ideas, your presence, and your encouragement. These are the gifts that inspire can't do this show without you. Thank you so much. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia. Cablecast on Cox and Verizon Files, Channel 37, and Comcast, Channel 27 in Reston, and webcast worldwide on the internet at www.radiofairfax.org every Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Should you miss us? No worries. You can catch our archive, Frankly Speaking with Tyra G, podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you feel like connecting with me offline, you know that's easy. Email me at tyra at tyragarlington.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you, Courtney Nero, for composing and performing our Frankly Speaking theme. And for naming it, I'm listening. For five years, Frankly Speaking with Tyra G has been telling thematic stories to touch the mind, the heart, and the spirit. They've been multicultural, intergenerational, educational, and inspirational. And they've been told by you, my cohorts, my listeners. Thank you so much. However, during this season of uncertainty and unrest, we have been touched by a fresh sense of fragility in ourselves and in our social systems. This is a testing time. This is a time to accept that empathy is unlimited. This is a time to realize you're doing better than you think you are. This is a time to elevate voices of hope. This is a time to reimagine what is essential. This month, Frankly Speaking, is focusing once again on phenomenal women and how we embrace and manage our universal experiences, our rainbows and our clouds, our courage and resolve. We are a journey, not a destination, a process, not an event. 
Even when we are still, we are in motion. Loving, serving, nurturing, encouraging, and empowering. We are love, and we know that love does. But sometimes, sometimes we get stuck between our no longer, the familiar, the habits, the not yet. And we stuck between there and who we were created to be. And we may, we may, in that weak moment, ask the question, am I enough? By the way, the right answer is yes. So check out our common moment of mindfulness today. We're going to look at how external mirrors often mess with our internal worthiness. In the words of life coach and award-winning author, Iana Vansant, in her book, Until Today, written in 2000, I quote, Life will work for me when I accept the labels placed on me don't always fit. Society and its structures, expectations, and divisions has fostered certain ideas about women that are not always flattering. There are many people who believe that strong women are not feminine and that assertive women cannot be trusted. My all-time favorite is that women who exhibit any degree of clarity about who they are and what they want are dangerous. But do not forget that a bossy woman is domineering, and that makes her the B word. We won't bother to mention the myths that women are not as smart as men or that they cannot handle money as well. The point is there are some people who believe these things about women, and some of these are women. Labels defined, often labels set up expectations. Labels prescribe how much, how little, sometimes how long a thing can be used. Labels are descriptive. Labels are protective. Labels can be removed. It may be that the time has come to take the labels off women. It is probably more accurate to say it's time for women to take labels off themselves. In order for a woman to realize that she's more than a mother, more than a wife, more than what she earns, and what she does to earn a living, she must know her own worth. It means she must test herself and her limits a woman must learn to describe herself and establish her own expectations. A woman must encourage herself. She must support and nurture herself. She must be willing to be disliked. She must be willing to violate the descriptions and confines placed on her. Until today, you may have placed defining, confining labels of unworthiness on women, but just for today, think of women as people. Think of women as human beings and doings. They are divine energy of God. For any of you who follow me, you know my manifest. I commit to encouraging and empowering women to walk in their worthiness. I'm amazed at the number of young, smart, beautiful women I meet who are not yet comfortable in that space. But my guest today has done the work, has paid the dues, happens to be 
a family member, an extended family member. We want to welcome Dr. Tiffany Simpson, neonatologist from Kansas City, Missouri. Tiffany, I want you to take the mic and help people understand who you are and how you got to be who you are. The mic is yours, my love. All right. Well, thank you. That was a lovely introduction. Um, so I am a neonatologist, um, and thinking of how I got to where I am, it's it's kind of, I don't know, it's hard to describe because I never had ever heard of a neonatologist before. So I never thought out to become this. It kind of just happened that way. Um <laughs> I always actually wanted to be a pediatrician. My mom's sister is a pediatrician, and growing up, she was totally my idol. She was everything that I wanted to be. Um, and so that was kind of my path. And in our community growing up, it was kind of like you're either going to be a doctor or a lawyer or maybe a teacher. You know, there were like three jobs. Right. Um, For and, women. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that was kind of, at least those were the the kind of careers the women around me had. So mm -hmm. I thought, okay, I want to be a doctor like my aunt. Um, and so when I got into it, of course, I, you know, went to medical school, did my residency in pediatrics. And when I was in residency, I spent some time in the NICU, which is required. So NICU stands for Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. And that was really the first time I had ever really witnessed what a neonatologist was and I couldn't believe the fact that I wanted to change my plan I was like this is actually what I want to do um, I love kids you know I still do but there's just something about babies that I love I love the the interaction I can have with new mothers um, kind of that space that they're in when they've just had a baby and um, unfortunately, all the babies I take care of, something has gone wrong. Sometimes right. it's something big. Sometimes it's something small. Um, but just having that kind of intense interaction with new parents um, and taking care of their baby for, you know, the short or maybe kind of slightly long mm -hmm. uh, amount of time that they're in the NICU, I just love that. So, um so anyway, so that's kind of who I am as far as my job. Um, who I am as far as otherwise, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a friend, all those other things uh, as well. You know what surprised me uh, when I, I always do a courtesy phone call to my guest uh, the night before just to say, hey, you know, look forward to it. Do you have any questions, et cetera? And Tiff, I think you were, were you with... Kate, no, you were, yeah, you were at some kind of function with your, your youngest daughter, and oh. I, I was thinking, again, about phenomenal women, because I have been around you, and I've seen you manipulate your life, and I have said yeah. to a number of people since I came back from Kansas City recently, how amazing you are, how, oh. how you make it look so easy, 
a house full of people, a house full of children, and you just kind of say, okay, where's everybody sleeping? (laughs) You know, and it's just like so normal. But (laughs) before we get into mom, I wanted to um, see if we could back up just a bit and talk about help my audience who may not have had the experience or heard the terminology, help them see what it may feel like to walk into the NICU and just uh, what kind of women and families you're dealing with because it's not just the birth of a baby. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, and like I said, I had never heard of or understood what a NICU or a neonatologist was myself, and I was a doctor you know by then so most people if they're lucky never have to meet somebody like me uh-huh. um 90 of the time that's how it works um but there is that 10 percent of the time when something goes wrong and it could be just something as simple as um you go into labor and you're going to have your baby a little bit early mm-hmm. um so your baby's going to be a premature baby and you just need me because of that or um, unfortunately there's times when you make it to your due date and something goes wrong at the end Um, you um, could start hemorrhaging and bleeding and the baby's in distress Mm -hmm. Um, you come out and we realize that they need a surgeon to kind of help fix something that's wrong with them um, like a congenital problem Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of different things that can happen and again like I said that's only a small percentage of the time so most of the time people don't ever have to meet someone like me Um, but if you do it's usually because your baby needs some extra help and they didn't used to have people like you right no yeah they didn't actually neonatology came about because of John F Kennedy ah so his family they had I, don't, I think it was their third child, maybe. I'm not sure. But I think it was their last baby was a premature infant. Mm-hmm. And at the time, um, so in the 60s, that baby was, if I remember correctly, around 34 weeks or something like that. For me today in current times, a 34-weeker, I don't even sweat. Like, that's that's so easy. I love a 34-weeker. They're barely premature. Okay. But at that time, they did not have the capabilities to keep take care of a baby as young as that um, and he died Um, Mm. and so that powerful family um, and their tragedy actually was one of the main things that kind of started um, you know my specialty Ah, Um, I didn't know that so uh, yeah I don't uh, kind of one of those little weird factoids that you know if you are a neonatologist but it's just saying that like you said um it hasn't been around that long. Um, so in the 60s, there were no neonatologists. Um, and now there's a lot of us. And um, I might say, and I'm glad there are. And I know a lot of women are glad that they are. Um, let me oh, ask absolutely. you, as you were pre- preparing for this uh, specialty, mm-hmm. were there any gender challenges or are most uh, neonatologists women? What is that? What does that specialty look like? Yeah, so neonatologists are pretty even, evenly split. And that's saying a lot because, so to become a neonatologist, you have to be a pediatrician first. Okay. Pediatricians tend to be mostly female. 
at least it's kind of becoming that way now. Um, so neonatologists of the pediatricians, and and this is why it was kind of surprising to me that I wanted to be one, but my personality is not quite exactly like most neonatologists. Most are pretty um, type A and pretty, <laughs> you know, pretty detail-oriented. You know what I mean? Kind I of do. high anxiety, high functioning type A people, which is great because there's a lot of detail and um, just a lot of care, you know, to just kind of the fine little stuff that you need to be a good neonatologist. You kind of have to be a little tightly wound. Okay. For me, that wasn't actually what drew me to it. You know, like I said, I'm kind of surprised that I, or I was surprised that I liked it because I'm a pretty chill person. Yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm naturally just kind of calm and things like that, but, um, but I also need you to actually be sick and need my attention for me to really be able to focus. And a lot of general pediatrics is about well care and, you know, kids are usually pretty healthy and generally not that sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of was boring to me after a while. And I, again, I was very surprised to realize that about myself. Um, so, yes, sorry, your your question was about gender. Neonatologists are about 50-50. Okay. Um, and they tend to be overwhelmingly type A type personalities, um, which is good. You need that kind of person to take care of such sick babies. Right. Um, and in my practice, um, we are um, nine physicians in our group. Four of them are men. Five of us are female. Okay. All right. Well, then let me ask you this. How do you, I'm just thinking critical care is what I think about when I think about the NICU. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. So I'm thinking how do you then as a practice measure success? Yeah, that's a good question, too. So, I mean, I want to, because you brought up the gender thing, I do want to mention one other thing about my practice, uh-huh. um, which is something that I didn't, um, that I didn't realize that I should be thankful for until kind of later on in some, you know, I've been practicing now for 13, almost 14 years. So some time had gone on before it occurred to me that this was significant. So the uh, person who started our practice, um, maybe 16, 17 years ago, um, is a woman. Uh-huh. She had been um, at the University of Kansas practicing for many years and um, was tenured professor and all that kind of stuff, but then decided she wanted to do something a little different, mm-hmm. started her own group, and then kind of hired us one by one. And throughout my career now, out, out of training, she has been, for me, just a very significant mentor kind Mm -hmm. of so my my early years my aunt was you know the person I wanted to be like um as an adult this particular female physician um is the person who really kind of molded how I practice and you know kind of um the kind of doctor that I wanted to be and I took it for granted maybe or just didn't realize that it was pretty unique to actually be a female physician whose mentor was another female physician who had been through all of those years of you know being you know one of only a few females in the room and things like that um 
so I think having her made the gender thing not be as big of a deal because she she already knows what I'm what I'm dealing with. She's a mom, she's a wife, all those same kind of things. And being able to see that she had been able to be successful helped me understand how to kind of mold my life and um, and how I could be successful and balance it all out. But so you said, how do we measure success in our practice? A lot of it came through her vision because I think in some more male-led um, groups, measures of success may be a little bit more rigid, like, I don't know. Outcomes. Numbers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, outcomes and things like that. Right. For us, they're also important, but we also like to put it into context. So uh, in our group, we want everyone to kind of be the best them they are supposed to be. So there's no... Um, requirement that we all have to follow the same path because we're all very different but you know if someone expresses an interest in a particular topic as a group we try to support that person do they need to go to some conferences do they need to do some training to hone a particular skill and we want you to be an expert and um, you know be the best you can be in that particular area so success in our group is kind of measured by what that individual um, wants to achieve for themselves. And um, you know what, I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm, my heart is just really happy because I'm a person who believes that everyone, that there are multiple intelligences, multiple learning styles, multiple communication styles. And so I'm hearing you say your mentor was mm-hmm. wise enough to set a template, an emotional template for the practice that encouraged each individual to be who they were supposed, who they are meant to be. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking if you overlay that with the emergency nature, then you've got to come out with a, an outstanding practice uh, because everybody's winning, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, so I'm extremely proud of our practice. This mentor who started the practice and um and was our leader for all those years she's actually retired last year Uh and so when she retired it was a big you know it's kind of a big change for us we'd always had her there to um bounce things off you know either based on her experience or just um you know her level-headedness just whatever it was she was always kind of present Um, So after she retired, uh, our group decided we would, instead of having one person be the managing physician, Uh we would now have two because it was kind of a lot of work um, in addition to taking care of patients and so forth. So so actually, I'm one of those managing physicians with my partner, Tom. And so it's just disgusting success. So (laughs) I didn't start this journey intending to be the managing physician or one of the two managing physicians in my group but through good mentorship and someone guiding me and showing me that hey Tiff this actually probably is a good fit for you you know maybe you don't think you're a leader but I think you are um to me that has kind of gotten me to this part you know this place I think it's interesting too that uh, when you were talking about your practice and you said, well, we've got four and then five, you know, now you've got a mommy and a daddy, you and Tom, right? <laughs> and Tom. 
And what I'm thinking now, this 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 is a little bit of a sidebar, but uh, do you all ever publish um, articles about your practice and the things that you've said that could be shared? See, I guess I'm thinking about the next generations that are coming, mm-hmm. and I'm seeing almost a break in what we're doing in terms of legacy, shoring them up. You know, we got them going, okay, we want outputs, 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 but not necessarily outcomes, you know. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff going on right beneath the uh, the skin of our young professionals that's really impacting them, and it's invisible. But it seems mm-hmm. to me you've got kind of a built-in uh, mental health, positive mental health model, you know, and... I was going to ask you before, um, your mentor who retired, what was the best advice she gave you? Oh, that's a good question. I have a couple what? of them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what was the best advice she gave me? Yeah. You know, I, I, I can't say that there was like one particular thing, but what I what I will say is the best things um, – that she did for me. So, I mean, I guess this might be advice, but there were just kind of um, moments in my career since I've been in this practice where, um, you know, because I, I, I kind of feel like I would have been fine to just be a doctor who just kind of came to work and took care of my patients and then went home and took care of my kids and, you know, <laughs> and kind of that it. And, um, and in some ways, I think I just didn't have the confidence, you know, to think that um, I could do more than that or I should do more than that or I needed to. You know, I was like, oh, these guys are in charge of all these things, and so we'll let them do it. Um, ah. But along the way, he kind of gave me little um, responsibilities that got bigger and bigger over time. And I remember um, one of them was a medical directorship for one of our hospitals. And I was like, really, you think I should do that? I mean, like, I'm thinking like, I don't know if I'm the right person for it. And she was like, absolutely, you're the right person for it. Mm. So I mean, just, just having someone kind of see that you can be that leader that you, you didn't see it in yourself. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily advice, but just, um, ha- yeah, just having someone there to, to guide you. Um, and, um, and not, she was not competing with me because if, if I'm doing well and other physicians in the group also experience the same mentor, mm-hmm. so putting positions where they're thriving, if we're all doing well, then the whole group's doing well. Exactly. And I'm thinking, in my mind, a successful mentor is a mirror for that person's possibilities. And Mm -hmm. I know personally, uh, I have had to have to hear someone say to wake up something inside of me thinking, really, you know, they are the mirror. Mm -hmm. They say you're this. And I'm thinking, really? Maybe I yeah. am, you know, and they just flip your script yeah. over a process or sometimes it's just one thing they say and you go like, wow, okay, and you, and you yeah. go that way. But I think that's wonderful, uh, and now you have an opportunity to be a mirror for uh, mm-hmm. people coming as well. 
Let me ask mm-hmm. you this. You were easing into it, and I stopped you when you were introducing yourself. Uh, we were kind of walking into how you spell family. And mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, uh, talk about your family, how it's made up, and what a day might be. Uh, I've only seen it in vacation mode, so <laughs> let, let people know what someone like you has as family. How do yeah, you do? Well, how do you do family? Yeah. Well, I mean, the family that lives here in my house. I mean, we, I guess we can start with that. Yeah, but, let's start with uh, them. Yeah. So my husband and our three girls who are very, very, very busy girls who are always, you know, wanting to socialize or, you know, do extracurricular things. And um, so they're, oh, my gosh, they're just so busy, Um, which I'm happy about. I want them to be engaged in everything. But, um, you know, I just described that I have a very full career. And um, so my husband, um, who is, always one of the things that about him that for me has always been um i don't know i don't want to say attractive because i don't want to make it's actually deeper than that it's been it's a value that he possesses that i just don't see in many men Mm -hmm. is that doesn't compete with me on an ego level so ken has always um has always encouraged me to continue thing, you know, pursue things career wise and never held me back for his own selfish reasons. Right. So it's like, Tiff, you want to be the managing, you know, one of the managing doctors in your group. Absolutely. Tiffany, you want to take on this medical directorship. Oh my God. I'm so proud of you. You're the, you're the best. So he's, and it's like all the time. Like I, I've never had him once, try to say oh like you know he's never trying to put me in my place as kind of like the woman you know what I mean he's always letting me shine I don't know why he does that but I think I I can tell you I you know I it doesn't take it tip it doesn't take much it's called love yeah and love does and he's got that temperament you know uh I I I had the pleasure of knowing you before you had children and were married. Yeah. And it seems like it felt like then that then as well. Um, mm-hmm. So I just consider him a blessing. In fact, I think your whole family model is a blessing. But, my gosh, there's so much going on all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, so, so saying all that to say about him that um, – so Ken is an attorney and was feeling burnout with his own job and just kind of not happy and thinking maybe should I look for something new. Um, kind of around the same time that I knew I was going to be taking on more responsibilities at work and our kids are busy, busy, busy. Um, and so he came up with the idea that he should try uh, try to be a stay-at-home dad for a while and see how that went. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been great. You know, I kind of am like, man, this is nice. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) He just handles it. Like, he knows where they're supposed to be, when, when he's supposed to pick them up. Like, he just kind of does it. And 
and that gives me the ability to commit myself to what my practice needs of me um, and not have to rush home to pick somebody up or, you know, I, I know he's got the kids under control um, and he's a great dad. And so he is you know. all of that. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, it's not just the three girls. You have some four legged family in the house, too. Yes. Oh, our <laughs> fur Yeah. So we have Jimmy, our our dog. Uh, that's short. Jimmy Hendrix, because I didn't mention that my husband is a guitar uh, enthusiast. I was going to uh, ask you, you know, excuse me, uh, yeah. isn't there something you forgot to say about your husband? <laughs> I think you better focus on that quite a bit right now. Oh, oh my gosh, that guy, he is, he is very musical, which is awesome. But, um, yeah, so Jimmy Hendrix. But you know what, Jimmy, we love these pets, like our <laughs> dog. The girls have a schedule for who he's sleeping with each night. So he's, Ken said we just treat him like he's a human, but I mean, that's how they are. They, you know, so he snuggled up with Kate last night Aww. and Caroline's turn, you know, we start from the top and go back down, <laughs> but uh, and we have two little kitty cats who are kind of ornery and a uh, yes. sweet little guinea pig. And the guinea pig. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's just in your house. But you yeah. have kind of, let's talk about your family in another sense. Uh, sure. Yeah. Talk about them. Them other people. Well, yeah, my other people. <laughs> I mean, you know, like my um, kind of when I was talking about my my mentor at work, right, and how she encouraged me, you know, yes. as a neonatologist to kind of take things to the next level. I mean, obviously, my whole life, that's what my parents have been, right? Yes. And um, I'm fortunate that um, even though my parents divorced when I was very young, but they both have, um, they both have always made me feel like I was the most important person in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I feel like I, I get overly showered with their attention. Like, sometimes I'm like, I mean, really? Are you calling me again? Like, you know, but... <laughs> Um, but, um, you know, and and my parents were young, uh, when they had me. And so sometimes I almost am amazed that, um, you know, that they kind of had some maturity to (laughs) be a parent, you know? So when my, I, like, I, I was at my mom's 40th birthday party. Like I remember her 30th birthday, you know, like all these different milestones. Um, anyway, so my parents are, and their, their personalities are, Oh my gosh, there are a lot, but um, but because actually of having the parent, my parents being divorced, and I split my time between my mom and my dad. So uh, my dad has always lived in Kansas City. My mom was in St. Louis when I was younger. Um, I think, and each of their houses had a very different vibe and different sets of rules. So my dad's pretty conservative. Um, he and my <laughs> Um, um, married, um, or he, let's see, he started dating my stepmom when I was three and they got married, um, when I was like 13, uh-huh. but they were together. So he's been together with her since I was three. So there was always kind of the two of them. And my dad's very Christian and very conservative in his house. You know, there, it was, you know, quiet and we had a very, um, predictable routine 
And my mom is like uh, <laughs> a free spirit. And her house was like that. And, <laughs> and I think having those two different sets of homes and two different sets of expectations and rules and stuff um, is part of what has led me to be kind of relaxed and flexible because, um, you know, I kind of had to roll with it. So, yeah. Um, and, you know, this is a message for uh, since there are so many blended families now, um, yeah. it's it's important to they're not easy. Uh, mm -hmm. However, if, if done well, it's love mm -hmm. multiplied. And yeah. regardless of how it's done, it's a classroom, especially for yeah. the kids. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, I had that experience, and you never know. You know, it's it's amazing. But I wanted you to tell that story because I wanted you to encourage. I wanted okay. you to encourage those who may be in blended families, considering blended families, or have survived blended families. It's all possible. It really is. And speaking of families, you just recently was it June? had a humongous mm -hmm. family mm -hmm. event. I mean, family came from all over. And mm -hmm. I want you to talk about that because it involved your 13-year-old. And there's mm -hmm. a story that 13-year-olds are of the age that they're faced with a lot of challenges now. And use this experience to kind of share uh, Caroline's experience. I had asked Caroline to be on, but she's a... Uh, What's she playing? What's she playing? Volleyball. Yeah. <laughs> she said volleyball. Okay. And that's yeah. all right. But um, you can speak for her. You want to talk yeah, about that? Absolutely. So um, Ken, you know, is Jewish. I was raised Christian. Um, and for us being an interfaith couple, uh, actually, even from right at the beginning, we were kind of like, how's this going to work out? Now, um, my Christian family is very open to whatever. So they didn't have any um, issue with Ken being Jewish. And I don't think his mom had any issue with me either. I don't think. Um, so it wasn't really our families that created the, the kind of concern and consternation about how things were going to be for us. But it was really kind of like other people, you know, like people, it, we kind of couldn't figure out who was going to marry us. You know, well, my dad's pastor was like, I don't think I can do that. You know, we, yeah. <laughs> you know, things like that where it's kind of like, how does this all work? So, um, Ken's rabbi married us, and Ken had always told me that he wanted um, to raise the kids Jewish and he wanted them to have a bit more formal Jewish um, upbringing than what he had. You know, not that we wanted to force anything on them, but I think he always regretted that he didn't have a bar mitzvah. Mm -hmm. um, he regretted have you know kind of some of those religious milestones and and wanted to do it. So Ken has actually been the one who's taken them to religious school every week, and um, to the point now he's actually on the board of our synagogue. So he's way into it, which mm -hmm. is great. So with the kids, you know, when um, when it came time to decide if we were going to have a bat mitzvah or not, 
Um, we really did want it to be Caroline's decision because there's a lot of work that they have to do. And um, I didn't want, quite frankly, I didn't, I didn't want to be forcing her and reminding her. And, you know, that's just, that's one more thing on my plate. Um, if it's something she wants to do, I wanted her to really own it and do it. Um, and the first few months of it, so it took around um, a little over a year and a half of preparation for her to, um, from the start of preparing for the bat mitzvah until the actual day. So the first maybe seven, eight months or so were a little bit rocky, but we were also in the pandemic. She was meeting with her tutor over Zoom, um, which I think for Caroline is actually not a real good um, yeah. way to interact um, with people who are teaching her. Um, so got off to a little rocky start, but then when she was able to start meeting with her tutor in person, I mean, she really just, she really did it herself. And I was amazed because for me as her parent, I was able to see her really own it. You know, she owned something and she really did it and she stepped it up and she had a stand up um, at the altar with the rabbis for the entire service and um, help them lead it and speak in Hebrew and sing into a microphone by herself in front of everybody. Um, and I really think she did a great job. You know, I really do. And so I was proud of her and I'm happy that we did it. Um, for our family, though, what was so touching to me about the whole weekend was you're right. We had people come in town from all over um, to support our family, so to support this milestone in our family and, of course, supporting Caroline. Um, but none of us are really Jewish, you know. I know, I know. And I was I was going to, uh, I guess, disclaimer, I was there. Okay. Uh, yes, further yes. disclaimer. I actually held Caroline in my arms when she was a little teeny baby, and now she was 13. And it was the most amazing experience for me to see a flower blossom. Maybe just for our, since we have international uh, listeners, yeah. some may not be that familiar with the, uh, with the ceremony, what it means and why it's there uh, yeah. at that age. Can you share with them a bit? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, every 13-year-old Jewish child becomes a bat mitzvah, basically meaning that in the eyes of their religion, they're now an adult. Mm -hmm. So they um, are owning their um, their decisions. They are, um, you know, they're practicing this religion um, on their own and it's something that they actually want to do they're not being forced to do it um, like a child is being brought to services with their parent now this 13 year old can say i want to be here or i don't want to be here um and so it really just symbolizes now that you are an adult um, in the eyes of your religious community and um you know you're going to be responsible for your own actions but the, so everybody at 13, you know, is makes that milestone. Um, but being called to the Torah um, after becoming a bat mitzvah like Caroline did, so that's where you're making the decision to actually lead the religious services for the week. 
read from the Torah, mm-hmm. learn some Hebrew, and really kind of take it that extra step. Right. Um, to just show your um, your commitment uh, to the decision you're making to be a Jewish adult. I thought uh, one that was so impressive, and uh, what I what I wanted to share. Your youngest, uh, Kate, is eight. No, how old is she now? She's She's seven. She's almost eight, but you're very close. And Kate was sitting on the aisle on the front row, and she was watching her sister, and Mm -hmm. she was cheering her on. And she Mm -hmm. would get so excited. She would just wiggle and just clap (laughs) and just, and, 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 and I just looked at her and I said, and she was just like, yes, this is good. You're good. And then at some point, both sisters and mommy and daddy and grandparents were called to uh, be up on the uh, altar at the altar with them and that was a very 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 special thing but again talk about yes the synagogue was filled with Christians yeah absolutely (laughs) and a few Muslims too yeah 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 right yeah I mean I think that uh the Christians outnumbered the Jewish people <laughs> by a lot that day. But I mean, I think it, I mean, for our family, I will say, I mean, and these are my personal beliefs. I'm not a, you know, a religious leader by any means, but, you know, personally, I feel like all of the religions are right. Right. I mean, if it's something that motivates you um, to have positive change in your life and provides you with a community of like-minded individuals, then I am happy for you to do it, right? So mm-hmm. I, um, I'm happy for my husband to have, you know, found deeper meaning in his Jewish faith and for Caroline to have made that decision. Um, she was, like I keep saying, she was not forced to do it at all. I almost kind of encouraged her not to do it. Mm. And I don't mean like I was trying to hold her back, but I really was like, I mean, are you really going to do all this work, you know? Yeah. Uh, and she was, she really, really wanted to do it. You know? So anyway, what she did. Um, and she, so, I mean, you I paid think, her a wonderful compliment that kind of pushed her off guard when you said, you're my friend. Yeah. I really like that kid, you know? That's She's what really, you really said. Good. I really like you. And for mommy to say this, especially to a 13-year-old, because that's generally when it's like, I don't like you anymore, you know. <laughs> that was so special. Well, talk about the menu that we had. And um, Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, and so, for yeah, for me, having all of our people coming in from out of town, I just, I was so touched, you know, because... Um, you know, I was asking you all to come to a bat mitzvah, so that's a celebration and a religion that's not one of our own, but I think everyone understood that it was important, you know what I mean? Yes. um, So I wanted to feed everybody, and I wanted to make sure that you got some, some, (laughs) you know, some flavor of our culture here. Yes, yes. So barbecue is a thing. So I think that weekend we had barbecue twice, didn't we? Yeah, but not on, not the time of the service, though. At the service, not we, didn't. The time we didn't. But yeah, Friday night we had barbecue. And then one of the days that weekend we drove around and went to another barbecue place, um, just us. But 
we had um, we had a luncheon after the service um, at the synagogue, which was like pasta and veggies and things like that. That evening, I had a party for Caroline. So I wanted at first I was like, oh man, Caroline, a party, you know, whatever. But then after I saw how much she worked, yes, you deserve a party. You know what I mean? Actually, you really deserve this party. You earned it. So. She had a party that was a kid-oriented party. I think uh, I think you skipped that one, Tyra, which you weren't I, wrong. I did. That. Was, I did. But good. what I loved is at the house, you, you have a very, very long kitchen table, and all of the young yeah. people were making the goodie bags for the party. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we had pizza and stuff like that at the party. And then the next day on Sunday, mm-hmm. which I actually, Sunday was one of my favorite days of the weekend because at that point, at the the bat mitzvah was done. Whew, we can exhale. We got through that. Caroline <laughs> got through her speech and all that stuff. And now I felt like on Sunday we finally had time to just like visit and relax and yes. you know really just kind of take pictures with each other and see who was there and hug each other and and really just kind of catch up. So on Sunday we had bagels and lox and quiche and juice and coffee and and lots of lots of good good family fellowship so it was awesome now there's i i don't think that um this is inappropriate i think it's kind of unique that mm-hmm. your photographer had yeah. a baby that came to you yeah and mm-hmm. it was close in time to the bat mitzvah but mm-hmm. because of what you did for her baby she was mm-hmm. so committed to give you the mm-hmm. gift of the weekend as photographer. And I thought, oh, my goodness, you know. Uh, and talk about full circle, right? I mean, that, that yeah. definitely, that was no, um, yeah. no accident. I think that we were put in each other's lives in both of those different situations. Um, Amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely was. And it was nice to get to, I appreciated what she was doing for us you know and she definitely appreciated no she she was so grateful that she was she couldn't even express it you know she 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 would cry sometimes yeah 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 so that you know beautiful yeah that was definitely nice and um you know i think because of both of those different interactions that she and I had in each other's lives um you know it it made it 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 just made a lot it made everything more meaningful to have her there absolutely and what what um I guess when when I chose phenomenal women uh this is us for your theme I just wanted us to have a conversation about your life and who you Mm -hmm. are and the very parts of your life and then about Caroline as well being a 13 year old we know what that's like and for her Mm -hmm. to make the decision to go forward to deal Mm -hmm. with the rigorous schedule to not to give up and it wasn't easy and so Mm -hmm. but to see the family support for her and I wanted our Mm -hmm. audience to know those things work as well our teenagers Mm -hmm. are not the lost generation all we have to do is love them through it and and it takes mm-hmm. a lot, but we can do that. We can do that. And it occurs mm-hmm. to me that um, is there anything else you want our listeners to know before I have you read your assignment? 
Well, I mean, I think that in preparing to, you know, kind of just brainstorming a little bit, you know, I was thinking about, I wonder what we're going to talk about. You know, I think a lot of us kind of go through our lives and we're just doing what we're doing and don't necessarily feel like it's impactful or phenomenal or anything, you know, it's just kind of my life. And um, I'm so thankful that um, I happen to find a career that I love um, and have passion for because I know a lot of people um, aren't as fortunate. But besides that, I just think that um, that all of us are, you know, have the opportunity to um, have an impact. Yes. Um, if it's just one person, you know, I mean, you just really never know um what you being yourself means to somebody else. Yes, um, exactly. And um, so I appreciate you um, saying that you think I'm phenomenal. Uh, I mean, I appreciate hearing that um, because to me, I feel like what I do every day um, is um, kind of what I'm supposed to do. I, I love taking care of my kids. I love um, being with my husband I love taking care of the babies every day, and so it doesn't feel to me like it's anything other than me just doing things that I love to do. Um, and I just want to thank you for continuing to do things you love to do because we are all beneficiaries. Um, okay. You you wrote a letter to yourself as directed, correct? I did. It's not very long because... That's good because we don't have a whole lot of time, so you can read it. <laughs> All right. Awesome. It's not very long, but um, you did ask me to write a letter to my younger self. And I did. of course, I'm like, oh, I'm overanalyzing, like, what younger self? You know, like, are we talking about 15 year old Tiffany or 25 year old Tiffany? Oh, so, Tiff. I know, you know. Read the, read the letter, Tiff. Read the letter. Okay. Okay. Dear Tiffany, first of all, relax. It's all going to be okay. Looking back on things from where I'm currently sitting, I wouldn't tell you to change a thing because all of our decisions, challenges, and successes are what has made us who we are today. We have learned from our mistakes, pushed through difficult times, and enjoyed the happy times. Take time to appreciate the people who you love while you can because they won't be here forever, but know that you will make them proud. And know that you will have so many more loves in your life, and you can't imagine how full they will make life for you. So hang in there, continue to be you, continue to work hard, learn from the bad times, and enjoy the good times. The best is yet to come. Look at you. The best is yet to come. I love it. I love it. And I love you. You've been listening to Dr. Tiffany Simpson calling in from Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, I want to speak into our uh, spiritual soul bag. Uh, I should say speak from the doggy bag. And uh, this week is going to be a continuation of our common thought space. Meant to encourage and empower, especially in our current season of uncertainty and unrest. This is from a book uh, by Glennon Doyle Melton. And it's called A Note from God. Stop holding your breath. Breathe. 
there's enough. I have created abundance of acceptance, attention, recognition, joy, peace, money, energy, clothes, and food. I will never leave you without enough, and there's nothing to be afraid of. No feeling, no circumstance, no person. These things come and they go, and you can live through them without running, hiding, numbing, or hurting another one of my children. And did you know this, my angel? There's never been anything wrong with you. Not one day in your life. You're exactly who you were meant to be right now as you are. You're not to be ashamed. You punish yourself, but you have no reason to be punished. You can stop now, you're free. When you were born, I put a piece of me in you. No one can take it. It is the deepest, purest part of you that part that will someday return to me. You are love. You've been listening to Frankly Speaking with Tyra G on Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, with my special guest, Dr. Tiffany Simpson. Your seat at the table is guaranteed. I look forward to next time. Until then, remember you're worthy. You're stronger than you feel, smarter than you think, more beautiful than you know, and more love than you can ever imagine. You're chosen, you're important. Treat yourself like someone you love. Till next time, this is Tyra G, loving you. <laughs>